All right, well done. Amen. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, through chapter 13, verses 8 and 13. But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and, angel, and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. This is God's word to God's people.
So we have been preaching on John's letter to the early church these last few weeks and underscoring his understanding of the importance of love for that early church. Talking about the spiritual power of love to heal and transform people. Talking about how love was that which would weave the fabric of that community together and strengthen them to face the challenges that were coming their way. Rachel and I have been persuaded that love really is the key thing, and so we've wanted to spend some time talking about it and have found ourselves getting into the habit of using the phrase, let love lead, and we're hoping that it catches on, that you might be saying that often also, that when you think about decisions that you're making or positions that you're taking or attitudes you're having, that you might ask the Spirit to let that be colored by the love that Jesus asks of you, that you would let love lead in your life. John is trying to help them to value and respect, to assist and benefit from one another and not go it alone. He is trying to motivate each of them to contribute to the good of the whole, to grow beyond oneself into a connectedness with others, and to see love as the means by which to do this. Now, in Paul's earlier writings, we, we notice that he is beginning to develop a theology that uh, understands a congregation of believers as the body of Christ, that the church brings forward the presence of Christ to its time and place. Each one of us bringing forward some aspect of our Lord and Savior. Can you imagine that? Look around. Look around at each of you. Can you imagine that, that each one of you somehow, through the miracle of the Spirit, are bringing forward an aspect of our Lord and Savior, giving expression to Jesus' wisdom, Jesus' compassion, somehow giving expression to Jesus' sense of justice and mercy, all of us together, knitted together as a whole, becoming not just church, but becoming the body of Christ to our time and place. Through us, Christ's presence being made known. This is what Paul thought was going on back there in that first, second generation of believers. I think it's still going on. I think we should be thinking that it is still going on. Paul is also starting to bring forward a thinking that in the church, in the congregation, is the dawning of God's blessed kingdom. He took seriously that Jesus had preached that the kingdom of God was near, that it was upon us, that it was present through him. And now that the church was the living body of Christ, then that presence was made manifest in the church. 
And in his spirits, his disciples initiated a counter-kingdom to the kingdom of Rome. A different allegiance that ended up a lot of them in jail or martyred. Different values. Different methods of dealing with one another. Of esteeming and valuing one another. The early church sought to establish itself as a mission base of this kingdom of God on earth. And I would like to suggest that today we do that as well. That is what we are supposed to be about. And you are not far from the truth if you read Paul's early letters in light of this birthing effort of a new way of being to others. A way that is driven by and headed towards living love. A way that is lovingly redemptive and a way that is inclusive of all. Paul drills deeper in this letter that we are hearing this morning about 1 Corinthians in the 13th chapter. He states that we are to strive for the greater gifts, a still more excellent way. Now, Paul lifts up some of those gifts that we all um, value and ministerial roles and statuses. He lifts them up straight off in the beginning of this chapter in 1 Corinthians. And he says, if they are possessed, if these gifts are possessed or manifested without love, they are wasted, they are worthless. Like, boom, right in your face with his point. And yes, yes, we value these spiritual gifts and, and these spiritually empowered roles that he talks about in this chapter. We value them. Yet if love does not animate them, and if love is not expressed through them, it's no good. It's empty. Could Paul have made the point more directly or clearly? It's all about love. The more excellent way. As valuable as self-sacrifice for the good is, love is more worthy. As timeless as knowledge and prophecy is, Love is eternal. As much as we aspire to faith and hope, well, love is the more excellent way. Love transforms all. Love heals all. Love is, is wisdom manifested. Love is enlightenment made concrete and real. Faith, hope, and love abide, he writes. But the greatest of these is, is love. 
Now, John underscores Paul's claim of love's centrality in his writing in the epistles, talking about how we come from love, we go to love, we are to be manifestations of love. This is who we really are, John is writing. We are beloved children of God dwelling in the fullness of love. And our calling is to discover this, to claim it. Our calling is to live it out. Love never ends, Paul writes, because love is God and God is eternal. We can count on love now and forever. We can be we can be confident to center our lives in love and know we are doing the right thing that way because love is from God. Love is God. We practice best the presence of God by being people of love. Now, not wanting just to float around in the clouds, Paul gets a little practical and talks about the qualities of love. And, and we hear these qualities and we resolve, we resolve, don't we, to live into them as well as we can, as best as we should. We attempt to be patient and kind not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. We attempt to steer clear of irritability and resentfulness, don't we? We try to rejoice in the truth. We try to tell the truth. We try to not rejoice in wrongdoing. Are these all old-fashioned things? Is this all passe now? Are these not what we live by? I think we're supposed to still be living by this. I think these are some timeless truths for us about how we are to be with each other. We live in God's love. We are to give expression to that love by how we live. Now these verses are uplifted by thousands of clergy at weddings and you know we're talking uh, do this and that and, and I, like to, I like to have that little huggy thing go on too and then I, I usually look at the congregation and say you know we're talking about you too here. We're talking about your relationships. Don't forget, it's not just these guys starting. It's you guys and your 30th year of marriage or something. You're supposed to. But you know what? Paul was not writing a wedding homily with this. We use it that way. But Paul was talking about the church. How the church was supposed to treat one another. We in the church how we are supposed to live with one another, not just our spouses. We are supposed to be 
affected by Christ to the extent that we do this. We are to bear real signs of the new creation that we are being made into by Christ by actually being the new creation. So look around again at each other. Can you believe it? Paul and Christ Jesus expect us to get along with each other. No. Actually expects us to love one another. I know Jesus was the son of God, and so he might have had his head lost in the cloud with all these noble thoughts and stuff like that. He might have said stuff like that, but who really does what Jesus says anyway? No, wait, that's not how it's supposed to go. We're supposed to do, aren't we? We're supposed to do what Jesus says. We're not supposed to be thinking that's unrealistic that we love our enemies, that it's impractical that we turn the other cheek. No, no, these are supposed to be things that as disciples of Christ we, we take upon ourselves and we... We hold our feet to the fire and try to live it out. And wouldn't you know it that this impulsive, tempestuous Paul, this sinner Paul, would have the chutzpah to rub our faces in this stuff and to say that, yeah, this is what Jesus expects of us. And I think Paul, being who he was, knew the stretch that was being asked of us, but underscored it anyway. Kept driving it home anyway to those early church congregations. God loved us when we were yet sinners, so follow Christ's lead and love one another. It's the more excellent way. Really, it's the only way. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to have uh, some fun talking to you about the transfiguration and start a week early into our sermon series for Lent on core principles of discipleship. We, like the apostles, discover in Jesus our Lord and Savior, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. And so what do we do? We follow Jesus. And as disciples, by taking in that spirit and making a decision to follow Jesus, our lives alter in purpose, in values, in attitudes, in behaviors. And we're going to note how Jesus' transfiguration foreshadows our transfiguration. Our transfiguration really is the heart of the matter of our faith. 
Now, sure, it's good that we shape a solid theology about God. Rachel and I have spent thousands of dollars to be educated to think theologically and to try to have that have some coherence and rightness about it. You have listened to hundreds and hundreds of sermons in which clergy have been trying to, to help you think along with, with what might be the right way to hold things together, to make sense of God and humanity, our condition, all of that stuff. It's good to think that we're believing the right things, yeah, and it's, it's, it's our desire to want to assert that, we've, that we think we've got some correct doctrines, we think we've got this figured out. You know, to think that we are understanding God's ways and, and God's purposes, we're keeping in mind as we, as we try to live. These are goods. These are all goods. Yet, I've come, to, I've come to think that personal transformation is really the purpose of our faith. People going from being self-centered to becoming God-centered. Gaining insights of the Spirit and altering themselves accordingly. Because I've got to ask you, what good is faith, really? What good is faith if we are the same sorry person after our connection with Jesus as we were prior to our connection with Jesus? Really? What's the point of it all? If we're just as depressed or depressing, or just as ornery and nasty, or just as self-centered and hedonistic, or just as prejudicial and intolerant, or just as shallow and thoughtless after our conversion as we were before our conversion. How does that stagnant scenario fit into God's purpose for God's creation, for God's blessed children? So no, I think uh, the faith is for transformation. It's for change. It's for more and more. It's for getting into the better that God wants us to become. Faith is for the becoming. The transformation of our souls manifest in the living of our lives in the manner of love and to the purposes of love. So, dear friends, practice love. It is the foundation of your faith. It is the linchpin of your life. 
As you go out to the patio after worship today, spend a little time building the goodness of a relationship around you. At the next meeting you go to, treat the group, those characters around that table with a a loving attitude. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Support and care for one another. Practice being the person that Christ intends you to be. Practice it. Practice being the congregation that God intends us to be. Let love lead. It's the most excellent way. Amen.